0: Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. So, today we're doing a show that I'm going to call First Names Only. I think Gail and I have spoken over the years about how. I don't know, interesting and kind of frustrating it can be to sometimes have all of these books titled as, you know, woman or her or Mrs. or wife. just like, yeah, wife, girl, always something in general and never in specific. So this week we decided to focus on books that have the main character's first name in the title. So that's exciting. I actually... I don't know how much that happens percentage-wise because I had to, like, the five books that I have are basically, I had to go back 10 years
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> to this find a-
0: ones and to find ones that I really liked and wanted to talk about. Yeah. This is a deep backlist show.
1: Well, uh, some of mine are backlist. Some of mine are not quite as backlist. But, yes, it definitely goes back. And, we- and this week we're focusing just on women. Right. So another week we might do men, although I think men's going to be even harder.
0: Well, yeah, because we, I think men probably put more men's names in their own titles and we don't need a lot of men. Right. <laughs> um, I consistently come in at less than 10% of books by male authors and I can't say it's anything I'm particularly sorry about. I, let's
1: see, I'm going to go look at my summary for last year and see.
0: How many men you had? Yeah. How many? Because uh, I always put that in my year end wrap up. I almost feel like last year I probably had none or one. Let's is that it.
1: is that like just the way it works out, or is that very intentional?
0: No, I think it's just the way I, I, it works out. Yeah, it's just like what I'm interested in, what I'm, what I gravitate to. Right, and I think I've always been like that. You know, once I got past my, I don't know, reading to prove something or being well read or whatever, which you know is like heavy, heavy white male. Mm-hmm. The reading list for that. it, it, the stories that I've gravitated have usually been about women's and women's lives and, you know, women's take on things, which is why when people go, Oh, you know, when people have complaints about men or whatever, dominating the list, I just never have any experience with that because I just don't read them very much.
1: Right. I was at 13% male. So okay. Yeah. Eight male authors last year. That's Uh,
0: pretty good. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I am looking quickly. I read a book by Sa Cosby last year and I read a Colson Whitehead. So, in the entirety of 2022, I read two books that were by men.
1: <laughs> Got it. All right. All right.
0: <laughs> so we're going to
1: get to our our show, our Women First Name in the Title show. All right. Oh,
0: wait, no, before that. Do you want to give yeah. us an
1: update on what you're reading?
0: Okay. So I just started listening to the new Rebecca McKay. (gasps) How is it? It's well, I'm so it's, I'm not in very far in at all, but it's, it's, it seems like it's going to be really good. I'm excited. Oh, good. I've like literally listened to five minutes. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to love this. (laughs) Do you have that through, like, like a review copy somewhere? Libro FM.
1: Yeah, I think I do too.
0: I wanted to listen to it a little bit because I can be kind of picky about what I want to listen to. I think because the heavy mystery aspect will lend itself to me listening to it and not being that bothered by that. Hmm. Yeah, I have that in my
1: queue as well.
0: And I also just started reading Mame by Jessica George, which was one of the books that was on my winter preview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my winter preview list. And I really like the writing in that. And that's about this this woman who is living with her father who has Parkinson's disease while her mother goes back and forth between running a hostel in Ghana. Like she'll be in Ghana for a year and then she comes back to London for a year. And so she's really kind of not living her life. She's spending a lot of time taking care of her father. She's in a job she doesn't like. But I think when her mother comes back this time, she's going to branch out. So I'm like looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. What
1: about you? I have nothing to report this week.
0: <laughs> okay. I
1: am still reading Prince Harry's memoir Spare, and I have just a little bit left—maybe like an hour left. So I might even just finish that in print because when I get to the very end, I'm always kind of eager to finish. So I, I still haven't finished. That's a really long audiobook. I want to say it's like almost fourteen hours. So I kind of feel like it's almost like two short audiobooks. I should, it's the equivalent of reading two short books. So, so he um, has
0: a lot to say, huh?
1: He has a lot to say. And I don't, I don't think it's over long. Like some people are like, Oh, you could have been, you know, hundred, 200 pages shorter. I don't know if I agree. I think it's, it's, he had a lot to say. Like he's, you know, there was a lot that happened and he wants to
0: express so it. Now at this point, you're, you're further into it. Can can you tell, like, what's your judgment on whether he's salty or whether these are fair points he's making, or is it TMI? Oh, I think it, it's very fair. I, I Like, I, I have a
1: lot of sympathy for him. And, I mean, I understand, of course, I'm reading his memoir, so it's going to be one-sided, but I, I don't I, – I like him a lot, and I think he's very reasonable in what his – complaints are assuming that they're accurate and that he's telling the truth about what happened. I mean, it's awful and I think he and Meghan had no choice but to leave. And I and I think as a memoir it's very fair. I mean, I think he really tries to be as magnanimous towards his family as he can and there's things that they did that were really wrong. So, I mean, I I I, I only have his memoir to go on. I don't have Prince William's memoir and I don't have Prince Char- King Charles's memoir.
0: And you probably so, won't get them cuz I don't think they're like no into memoir I won't. yeah they'
1: they don't want to tell their side they want to you know they're very tight-lipped and keep it all inside so I only have Harry's to go on and assuming that what he writes is true, I think it's very compelling okay so I'll, I mean I, they're still in in where I am in the book he's just had they just had their first baby, so they're still living in London they haven't or England they're living at Frogmore estate. So they haven't made the decision to leave yet, and I'm going to be interested to hear about how that goes down and all of that. So well, that let me
0: sport f- only has an hour. That's a lot. That's going to happen in that last hour.
1: I know it'll be pretty jam packed. So let me
0: report back next week. When I, I know he's it. mentioned that he left a lot out. Like it could have been a lot more damaging. Mm-hmm. But I think. He wanted to express his side and still leave the door open, I think, for a relationship with his family. If not now, then I think he didn't want to share anything that was, like, going to alienate them forever and ever. Yeah. Even though it seems like him and William are pretty done, he and William. I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So you're still working your way through
1: that. Yeah. So I'm still working my way through that. And then I, as I mentioned last week, I wanted to read the book, women talking before the Oscars. And so mm-hmm. I started, I'm like on page four, five, <laughs> like I'm really early on 10. I don't know, something really early. And it just, I can tell it's sort of going to be like work, not work, but like, it's not like, t- it's not like one of those, you just can't put it down. And you want to get back to it. So I'm like slightly reg- regretting my choice. But also feel like I want to stick to it, and I just for whatever reason the last couple of days I just haven't been reading. And I had I had read like seven books in January, so it's like yes, I'm moving on a great clip. And then I picked up a 14 hour audiobook and a print book that I'm not that into, so I, I got to do something to. Wrap I have things to up. say,
0: there's something about January. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you know everyone is partied out and and just does not do anything in January. I always read an inordinate amount of books compared to the rest of the year in January.
1: Because <laughs> you feel like this renewed energy and you're coming into it from a vacation. So maybe you've got like a couple of those under your belt.
0: And you've seen everyone. So your social social obligations, I feel, are are typically yeah. a little lighter in January. Yeah. It's like we've okay. spent all the money. We've partied all the parties. <laughs> right. Some people are doing dry January. We're all just taking a seat. Yeah. So... I
1: yeah so I've been a bit of a a little lull slash rut whatever you want to call it so I got to fix that
0: so if we buy next week finish with Harry so you can at least start an alternate you know yeah start a new audiobook
1: and I'll figure out what to do with women talking it's not a long book so I either just got to finish it or decide now it's not the time and not read it I don't know
0: so, that's kind of disappointing because it's the premise of that is just so fascinating.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't really given it a chance. Like I just, okay. You're, I, you're I, I'm really Like it's so early. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I good. think it's unfair. Yeah. So the next week I'll let's just defer my <laughs> comments till next week. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into it here. Books with women's names, title, in the title. And I think like you, I had like a long list of ones I could do, but I, I narrowed it down to the ones that I really liked. And I have a couple maybes because I have a feeling you and I might have at least one or two overlap.
0: I feel like we will. Or, or I might have steered away from those because I, I knew. You thought I might do. Okay. All, All right. right. So what do you have? Okay. So the first one I'm
1: going to do, I talked about this book on the show a lot because I loved it so much. It's Abby Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. And it is a book about a woman living in Maine who her husband has died in a car accident. And she's mourning him. But you also find out, this is pretty early on, that she wanted to leave him anyway. So she's got all sorts of conflicting feelings about the fact that he's dead. And she's got this house with a guest house in it. And her friend says, you know, I have this friend. He's a pitcher for the Yankees, I think. And he's got the yips, which is what you get when you can't pitch anymore. Like you just can't throw. It's not reaching the target. And he needs some place to go decompress for a while. Could he come and live in your guest house? So you have these two like sort of broken people who are dealing with all kinds of stress and you know, grief and everything. And they come together in this house and it's about the relationship that grows between the two of them. I absolutely adored this book. I talk about it all the time. Everyone I know who read it loves this book. And it was like one of the absolute first ones that came to mind when we talked about the theme of the show. Um, Is
0: that what gave you the idea, you think? No, I don't think
1: so. But I, once I had the category, I was, it was just like, oh, well, obviously, every drink starts <laughs> over so I love her. I love this book. I very much did not enjoy her second book, Flying Solo, which was a huge disappointment, I think, to anyone who had read Evie Drake because it was such a pale comparison to the, the the first one. So if you're listening to this and you've never read any Linda Holmes, just stick with Evie Drake. Don't get tempted <laughs> by the quirky little cover of Flying Solo because I just did not like it. But Evie Drake is just charming. And that's a book I would actually pick up and reread. Like That's how much I liked it.
0: Do you think that she set out to do something similar to Evie Drake or was it a different, you know, was it a different book, but that it just wasn't that good?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, she certainly has a style. And so the book is in the same style. And I'm sure she wanted to replicate the success of Evie Drake. Flying Solo, where Evie Drake had heft, Flying Solo was light like had was very superficial and light and like i think she wanted it to have heft, and it didn't and where evie drake had this like amazing combination of sort of the banter and the humor between the two of them yet it there was the stakes were so high for both of them so you had this sense of the seriousness of it flying solo i feel like maybe she tried to do that with like the humor part but she it had this like caper, like it was like this mystery that needed to be solved that really had no drama behind it. And it, it felt very forced. So that's a great question is, did did she feel constrained by Evie Drake to repeat it? And that's why the next one didn't work so well. And I think that's a definite possibility. Interesting. Yeah, it was, I, I, like it was hard for me even to finish it.
0: Was that her second book? I think so, yeah. Okay, so you... Well I guess you'll see. The third book will will tell if she's you know, if that's what she's gonna keep going for or if she'll branch out or if she'll get her mojo back.
1: Right. I'm wondering if she has any book when I she Linda Holmes writes for Huffington Post. Wait, no, no, sorry, that's not right. She she's not just that's a different person that just popped up. She write, she's narrates the pop culture podcast on NPR. She's, see, I think it's pop culture happy hour.
0: Yep. I think that's um, it.
1: She hosts that. So she's like very pop culture current. And I'm on her website right now. And she doesn't talk about a new book. She talks about flying solo.
0: Okay. will so- be coming out on paperback soon.
1: Probably, yeah. In fact, I think it is. And both of the books are narrated by Julia Whalen on the audio book.
0: Is that good? Okay.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I have, you know, we've talked about this on the show. I have, like, conflicting feelings about Julia Whalen. I think Julia Whalen was not the right narrator for for Flying Solo because she has a seriousness to her narration that makes everything seem very momentous. And for a book that felt light and poofy, it was a weird match. Like I maybe I would have liked Flying Solo better had it not been narrated by Julia Whalen, because I did that one on audio. I did every every Drake in print, but I did Flying Solo in audio and like it was just it was a bad fit,
0: I think. Yeah. That's really interesting because Julia Whalen is the narrator for Rebecca Mackay's new book. How much how do you like it for that? I mean I'm literally like six minutes in, but I think think it'll be okay just because even, even though this is a mystery, I expect that there will be some heft with this book. Yeah. It does not seem like anything is, you know, like from the words alone, I'll say that nothing seems like it's being treated in a cavalier manner. So she might be fine for this.
1: Yeah. I would guess that she's a good fit for Rebecca Mackay. Just remembering what I do from her first book.
0: Right. Okay, Okay. what's your your first book? So my first book is one I've also talked about quite a bit on the show because I really liked it. It came out in 2018. So if you've been listening for a while, you have heard of it. For me, The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. And this one is, it's like one of those high concept murder mysteries because it takes place in sort of an undetermined time. Like I was never able to tell or get a fix on where we should be. Like there are certain elements that take seems like it takes place in a castle. There's royalty and nobles involved. Like there's a large estate, but I could not tell if it took place in the past or if it was like some kind of awkward future, like the place. And actually, I guess the place, the setting, setting drives a lot of, it drove a lot of my curiosity to figure out what's going on, because it's not a typical murder mystery. The conceit here is that there is this man, Aiden, who is brought into this world, this community. Evelyn Hardcastle is gonna die. So he's, he knows that there's gonna be a murder. He knows that it will appear to be a murder, and he knows that the perpetrator will get away from for, um, with this murder if he does not solve the crime. And him solving the crime of who has killed Evelyn Hardcastle is linked to his being able to, you know, leave this place. Like, I think it's called Heathcliff Hall or it's something on the Heath in in London or in England, sorry. So each day he inhabits the body of a different character. Like he wakes up as someone else. I think he can remember the clues that he's gathered before. And he's always just kind of like talking to different people, trying to have different conversations without giving himself away that, you know, he's not the person whose body he's inhabiting and to be able to solve this mystery and save, you know, not only Evelyn's life, but his life as well. So, I mean, I re- I really liked it. I think it, it was clever and it was fun. And like I said, there was a suspense element just because you really don't know like what this world is, what's going on. Is it real? Is it I don't know, something else entirely, which is part of the mystery, you know, so there's that mystery and not, not only the murder mystery. So this p- book was all over the place in 2018. It won the Goodreads Best Mystery and Thriller category in 2018 and won a host of other awards. And of course, I really like the writing. I like the author. Still haven't read any of his other books. So looking I've forward to I've had this that.
1: book on my shelf for a really, really long time. <laughs> and i'm i always have you in my ear talking about how much you liked it so i really want to give it a try
0: they say it's, it's like this mystery meets gosford park you know there is i'm just trying to think i it's not supernatural the i'll i'll say that because <laughs> i know how you can be about the supernatural yeah. just in case but it okay, is definitely like it? It's, but it's definitely a world by its own rules. I mean, this guy is waking up in someone else's body every day. So, right. right. And right. I don't quite remember. I think it might have been like it's groundhog day. Like he relives the same day, but through the point of view of a different character, but I'm not sure it might be that he, I think it's mo- most likely that he wakes up every day in a different body. And it's like a countdown to when this is going to happen. Um. I don't know. I have it on my shelf. I'd love to read it again. I, I'm probably vague enough about a lot of things that I I, I could read it and really enjoy it again.
1: Hmm. Okay. So my next book is uh, from 2017, and it's called Miss Jane by Brad Watson. So this book kind of reminds me a little bit of Zori, which I just finished. In that is it sort of has like an old fashioned feel to it. And it's also a male writer writing about a woman living kind of a quiet life in the Midwest. So there's definitely some comparisons between the two of them. So this is a book about a woman who is born with a birth defect. And she has like, basically I believe the birth defect is like, she has to do with her going pee. Like she can't, um like she, i think she like has to go all the time or something there's something about it i can't even remember what the physical sort of aberration was but it prevents her from living the life she wants to live and apparently this is actually based on somebody in hit this man's family like it was like his great aunt or something so he has he has um you know, based this story on somebody real that was important to him and kind of imagined her life through this book. So she, you know, has this this condition and as a result, like she can't get married, she can't have children, she can't really be in a relationship and there's only like certain jobs she can do. So she has to live this very confined life, but she is like this, you know, very sensitive and, you know, engaging person who like loves her farm and the world around her. And it's just, she's like a really gentle book. I just remember really liking it. And it's like sort of, you know, digging into this one person's life and just understanding her, you know, her desires and the constraints and how she gets around them. So I don't know. I just, I just really like this one and I don't think it got a lot of attention. I remember reading about it and then I heard of it. Yeah, I got it from the library and I just really liked it and I wanted to give it a little attention and it just was a perfect fit for this show.
0: That just seems so interesting, like when we're dealing with conditions, you know, whether you're temporarily ill or it's an illness that is, you know, something that you have to live with or whatever, like how do you creatively, I guess, make your life, make it work? I mean, I can't imagine having to use the bathroom all the time and having to go. Because when I think about how it's just like, oh, I think I have to use the bathroom. It's been, you know, it'll be like really late in the day.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember. And I don't even know how much detail he sort of gets into. I think at first you don't even really know what her defect is. And then you realize like as the book goes on, but like she can't go to school and she can't, do these normal things. And it's just, you know, it takes place in like the the 1900s. So again, it's, you know, a little bit historical here and really well written. And it kind of had that old fashioned sort of the old fashioned feel that Zori had. And Zori was also on my list to do today. I don't think I'm going to include it because I just talked about it last week, but Zori would also work in this category. And I do think that these books are Similar. So if you've read Zori or were interested in Zori, then add this one to your list too.
0: It's called Miss Jane
1: by Brad Watson.
0: So I have a couple of nonfiction books. The first of which is Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and The Last Trial of Harper Lee. I really like this book. I see that it was a nominee for the best nonfiction book in Goodreads Choice Awards in 2019, So it is the story of a trial that Harper, that caught Harper Lee's attention and Casey Sepp, who's the author of this. I don't know. It's not, I guess it's kind of a memoir because it's about this. Well, not a memoir because she didn't write it. Biography of a very specific time about this trial in Alabama that consumes Harper Lee. And she feels like this is a book that she wanted to write. And she gets into like, you know, what was going on in Harper Lee's life, kind of what social constraints she had, you know, what was the fallout of To Kill a Mockingbird and how she just, you know, never really got to write this book. And the story is very interesting. It's this guy, he's called Reverend Willie Maxwell. I don't remember whether he's a real reverend. I think he was a preacher. And he ended up being able to, he murders like five of his different family members by taking out insurance policies on them. And like, so there's all these complicated issues around the trial. Cause I guess back in the 1970s when this was going on, you didn't need anyone's permission to take out a policy on them and you could take out several different policies. So him killing his family members was rather lucrative and, and his trial was really interesting. I think one of the knocks on this book is that it does go down into different rabbit holes about, you know, insurance law at the time, or, I mean, some of it is centered on, on this, this preacher and the relationships with people. So while Harper Lee is, is of course, she's throughout the book because it's, it's part of the lens that's framing the book. It does go off onto these different research tangents that are about Different laws that were in effect at this time, racial politics, you know, who stood to gain from letting this pastor commit these murders or why it wasn't noticed. So if you're looking for a book that's like really Harper Lee focused, I don't think that this one is it because, you know, the author is also in the narrative and in kind of like saying how she did her research or how she became interested or whatever. So it's not totally Harper Lee focused. I I just thought it was fascinating and so well done. I mean, I loved all the detail.
1: Hmm. I didn't even think to look at uh, fiction for this.
0: I was like, it's a first name. (laughs) I can do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that works. Okay. So my next one is called Saving Ruby King. And I read this book when it came out in 2019. So it's just a couple years old. So this is a book about abuse, secrets, and violence, and how they pervade and repeat through three generations of an African-American family living on the south side of Chicago. So it's told through five different perspectives. There's two fathers, their daughters, and then the church, which the church itself, which is where a lot of things go down the church itself is like a character and has its own voice through some of the chapters. So it's not a light read. This is a book where there's violence. The book opens with a murder. And then there's, as the next, the chapters unfold, you peel back the onion between these characters and sort of figure out, you know, why is there so much anger between them? Where is this violence stemming from? And, you know, is the daughter, Ruby, king going to sort of emerge from this uh, situation intact and alive and with her, you know, happily with her, you know, mental health. So I thought this one, this was a debut novel and I thought she did a really good job, especially for a debut. And I thought it was very, it was masterful how she sort of threads together these stories and then Reveals the answer. She also covers in the book institutional racism, police violence. And to me, like this book felt almost like Shakespearean, like the way there was like betrayal and murder and trauma all kind of unfolding at the same time. It just had this very, like, I don't know, classic feel to it, the way she wrote, told the story. So I think she has a new book out this year or maybe at the end of last year which I have not read and I've actually heard it's not as good as this one, but this as a debut novel was really great. So it's Saving Ruby King by Catherine Adele West.
0: I wondered if you were going to pick this one because I was going through books, you know, I'm like deciding what to purge and what to keep. And I did keep this one because I know that you really liked it and I was really excited to read it. So there it is.
1: (laughs) I think you'd like this one.
0: And I thought the audio was really good.
1: So if you want to do that on audio, that's a good option.
0: Okay. So my next book is The Twelve Tribes of Hattie by Ayana Mathis. It came out in December of 2012, I think to a lot of acclaim. She has a new novel that's going to be coming out in October of 2023. So she really takes her time watching it. And I don't know, I guess. I I always really admire that with authors when... They take their times with books because I feel like a lot of times, you know, you get this really polished debut because someone has been working on it for so long and it's really good. And then the second one, you know, because there's a shorter turnaround, you might not have the same attention. So I don't know what the circumstances are. Hopefully there were positive ones that she was in control of, but you know, her next book is going to be coming out. And it's also multi-generational. So this is about a woman called Hattie Shepherd. It is set basically during the great, the very beginning of the great migration. Like I think Hattie is born in the 1920s and, you know, as a young or as a teenager, but I guess that was about the time you got married. She leaves her hometown of Georgia or her home state of Georgia and she goes to Philadelphia. She's married to a man that she is hoping that she's going to be able to build a really great life with, but he's just, you know, disappointing and kinda leave leaves her in bad spots. And at the very beginning of the novel, she has her firstborn set of twins dies. And it's like it's particularly devastating because these kids die, I think they're probably under two, but they just need like a basic shot of penicillin that I think would have been inexpensive generally at the time, but Hattie's family is not able to afford it. And that really sets the tone. You know, like she's in this disappointing marriage. She's having all these children. She goes on to give birth nine more times. And I feel like her circumstances, her poverty, her knowledge that the world is not going to be kind to her children really shapes the way she interacts with them. And of course, they are not treated all the same. She does have some favorites. She has some that her relationships are particularly fraught with, I would say she's dealing with a fair amount of undiagnosed mental illness just from the trauma of her life. And so this all affects how she interacts with her children. And the 12 tribes of Hattie is a reference to her children and like the lives that they choose and the generations that descend from from, from Hattie. And, you know, I guess to the legacy of her relationship with each of them and how it influences the partners that they have, the relationships, the children that they have. So she's not always kind. You know, she's been through a lot of stuff. And I think there's a lot of hurt people, hurt people kind of things going on. And just how grief can shape your life. You know, her young marriage and her childbearing years are basically influenced by this deep trauma. In addition to, you know, the tribulations of of the Great Migration and, you know, racism that Black people face so this mm-hmm. was really good. Her other book that's coming out is also going to be kind of like multi-generational step between Alabama and Philadelphia, dealing with themes of the, the great migration. So I feel like this one, she's probably spent a lot of time thinking about and looking forward to that.
1: All right. My next book is really different from the one <laughs> that you're describing. Okay. So I picked a book called Jillian by Hallie Butler. And this is a really sort of odd book. I read it in 2017. And it is about two unhappy women who meet at work. One of them is an admin in a gastroenterologist's office. Her name is Megan. And her coworker is named Jillian, who's a single mom in her 30s. And Megan is this depressed, moody, nasty person who... Is like also extremely entertaining. And she can't stand Jillian, who is this forced, upbeat, you know, pos- forced positivity person who, but yet is living like in desperate f- financial straits and constantly makes really bad decisions. So it's really just about this relationship between these two women who couldn't be more different. And who absolutely like push each other's buttons in the most sort of frustrating of ways. And I know it doesn't, it sounds like, why would you want to read this? Like who wants to read about two extremely unhappy people, but yet it's very funny. And like, there's not a whole lot that happens. It's like, when I wrote about it on my blog at the time, I said, it's a funny, dark meanness that most of us can probably sadly relate to, has a train wreck allure to it. And like you feel kind of gross when you finish it, but you will be laughing about it and you want to tell your best friend all about it. So it's like, it's definitely not for everybody, but I thought it was really funny. And like, if you're in the right mood for it, it's like the perfect book. Cause you just like kind of give in to the meanness and you just sort of laugh your way through it. Definitely feels like a train wreck. So that is Jillian by Hallie Butler.
0: Okay. So my next one is my other nonfiction pick is The World According to Fanny Davis, My Mother's Life in the Detroit Numbers by Bridget M. Davis. So this book also focuses a bit on the Great migration. I would say it's a coming of age story set in the 60s and 70s about Bridget Davis's life and how she's growing up in this like upper middle class household, you know, with this strong mother. And she does not realize that a lot of the benefits that she has in terms of the schools that she goes on, the clothes that she wears, just like being able to live this good life is because her mom is a numbers runner. And, you know, as she pieces it together, it's like, it's been a mystery and kind of a secret. I think at some point she does figure out that there are aspects of her life that she cannot share with friends. And, you know, there's this thing where they're kind of like the first to have telephones installed and how important that was to the business. And she gets a lot too into the history of gambling and who was allowed to run the numbers and state run lotteries and how they affect the smaller numbers runners and, you know, like how that was developed. So there's just like lots of interesting information around running numbers or gambling or the lottery or things that, you know, when I see those drawings or on a commercial or whatever and they're picking the numbers or when you hear that there's a like a big pot for the lottery, it is mentioned how how these programs were developed and how states saw that they could make money and, you know, like I said, how they inter interrupted the numbers businesses that were kind of thriving in poorer communities. I don't know, this was just a really fascinating book. She actually she teaches at Baruch College. So she's written to other She's written two novels, and I think she teaches creative writing. She also runs this really interesting program at this center called Weeksville that's out in Brooklyn that I went to once, I think, for a book opening. And Weeksville is unique in that it's like an African-American community out in Brooklyn that, the, I guess, the historical elements of that Black community have stayed intact. So you can actually... You know, visit and see what it's like. So it's like part museum, and and they run events. So she does events there. But yeah, just one of these. Another really good novel about not novel, nonfiction about the Great Migration. <laughs> I've read <laughs> read a few books about the Great Migration. It's an interesting time period. It's one I would probably like to delve into a little bit more. But this is like this is this is a good one.
1: Okay, so I have. We We were going to do about five books each, and so I have done four, and then I have a couple left. One of which I know you and I have both talked about a lot. So I think so I'm going to go this for a brief it. Brief mention. No, I think I'm going to go for it as my fifth book, and that is my Dark Vanessa mm. by Kate Elizabeth Russell. Was that on your list? Yes, but I didn't put it on there because I knew. I had a feeling. Okay, you know, I'd probably take it. Yeah. So this came out in 2020. Nicole and I both read it and both really liked it. It is a book about a woman who goes to boarding school and has a relationship with one of the teachers at her boarding school. And then there is kind of, you know, many years past. So not only does it talk about what happened with, you know, what what happened at the time, but also... Mm -hmm the impact that this relationship had on her after after it was all over. So this is a novel, but I believe that it is based on a true story that happened to the author. And what's interesting is that this book was written before Me Too, but it came out right around Me Too, I think. And Or I think, let's see, I think that she had been writing the book for a long time and then Me Too happened and then I think and then I think the book came out. So it came out at a very advantageous time for the book, but it wasn't actually the result of Me Too. I think that it was coincidental that she finished the book at the time. I really really enjoyed this book. Had very hard time putting it down. And it I think it raises some interesting questions about consent and like victimhood and like she The things in this book are not so black and white and it's, it's, you know, there, she was complicit in a lot of it, despite the fact that she was very young. So then the question is like, well, even if she was complicit, could she, which could she actually provide consent given kind of the power dynamic between the two of them and her age? But I, I think that it, there's, these are two very complicated people. And I think that she shows that this story is not sort of the textbook, like, Student-teacher abuse allegation that we've all read so much about. I just I thought this was such a good book.
0: Yes, definitely. Anything that I you echo add? that sentiment? No, I think you've you've kind of uh, covered all the bases. It did just really deal into the complexity of the situation for you know someone we would typically call a victim who doesn't necessarily see herself that way. Yeah, and. You know, of course, there's also baked into that, as you said, you know, whether she, whether she sees herself that way or not, you know, what are the the facts of the situation, I guess you would say. Yeah. And I feel like that's baked. you know, her, her viewpoint, too, is shaped by the abuse. So it's kind of hard to extract it from that. Right. So if you haven't read My Dark Finesse yet, I would recommend it. Okay. So my last book is Patsy by Nicole Dennis Ben. It came out in twenty nineteen. She's a Jamaican author whose novels I really love. Her debut novel was Here Comes the Sun. So good. She writes strong female characters, you know, usually grappling to, to deal with their circumstances, whether they're environmental, like sometimes the actual landscape itself, plus just environmental in terms of the people who surround you, the culture. That has shaped you or is holding you back. So in this novel, the main character, Patsy, gets a chance to, she has the opportunity to get a visa to go to the United States. She has a young daughter who's about five years old. Her name is True. And she decides to leave her. She leaves mainly for personal reasons. You know, this is not about so much sending money back or providing for her. It is because she is involved, she had been involved with this woman, I think her name is Cecily, who moved to the United States, is in New York, and she writes all of these glowing things about living there. And, you know, Patsy really wants to live her life and to be reunited with her lover. And so she leaves her daughter and her mother and she goes to the United States. And of course, it is not anything that she thought in terms of poverty, racism, you know, trying to get a job, trying to navigate this world. It paints a really bleak picture of the immigrant experience, which, you know, I don't question at all. So there, it's a very heavy read is what I'll say. At the time that I read this, I think it was one of those that I did not read at the right time. Like it was heavy for probably what I wanted at the time. So I don't want to take away from the immigrant experience because it can be fraught, you know, depending on what kind of access you have, if you have anyone there to help you. You know, Patsy has kind of been misled and she's sacrificed a lot and she thinks about her daughter. And, you know, the second half of the book is indeed about her daughter and kind of her grappling with her own sexuality and developing a relationship with an absent father in her mother's absence so it's a lot of heavy, heavy themes. And I think it's such a worthwhile read, such a good book. You know, she's such a great writer, but definitely kind of like be in the headspace for it, I'd say. Yeah, it does sound heavy. Okay. Nice. So are there any, like, Honorable anything mention. in brief you want to yeah. mention?
1: Yeah, I have a few that I, you know, Maybe on the list. Maybe just title. Titles, yeah. Okay, so Eleanor Oliphant is fine. Eleanor Oliphant, and I can't remember who wrote that book, but I think a lot of people read that one, so I didn't want to include it here. I considered including Mary B. by Catherine Chen. Uh, Nicole I and I both read you. that book. Yeah, that's a book told, Pride and Prejudice, and a Pride and Prejudice extension told through the perspective of the middle sister, Mary Bennett. Nicole and I had a lot of, <laughs> uh, a lot of deep thoughts Fight on this it. one. <laughs> yeah, worth the read. Interesting, especially if you're a Pride and Prejudice fan. So that is on my list. I have Still Alice, which is probably one of the most devastating books I've ever read, but so good. And that is about a woman who has Alzheimer's, early onset Alzheimer's. And oh, my God, it's just like the most haunting book ever and also a great movie. And I had a book called Adele by Leila Slimani, which I have read and talked about on the show about a woman in France who is sort of is like compulsively having affairs. And <laughs> I read about Adele, her yes. marriage. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's it's dark, but good. So
0: that was my
1: list. Did you have anything that we didn't get to mention on the show?
0: Sure. Okay, so a couple that I will add is The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V. Schwab. I really like that one. It's kind of... Time travel, kind of romance, you know, light but heavy at the same time. I really enjoyed it. Um, I just finished reading and talking about a couple of weeks ago, Anna, the biography, which is a biography of Anna Wintour by Amy O'Dell, which I found interesting, you know, limited because it's a biography and it's one that, she, that Anna did not participate in. So there is a lot of kind of conjecture, but just from a factual rundown point of her life, it was very interesting. The last story of Minna Lee, I really enjoyed by Nancy Ju Yoon Kim. And I'm trying to think, is there anything else? I think that's it. All right. Oh, Emma in the Night by Wendy Walker. I love Wendy Walker. So Emma yeah. in the Night was good too. All right. Well, we will at some point. I like I can... this topic. We should revisit yeah. it. Yeah. In a year, <laughs> Okay. Or late, or late in 2023, yeah. maybe if and we've maybe gathered we'll more them,
1: names, the male one, give the men their due at some point. Although I do think it's going to be a lot harder to find male names because That'll as you be said, a, you and I, a shorter to, show. <laughs> yeah. We tend to, you know, gravitate towards
0: stories about women. So anyway, this was
1: a fun little theme show. I like, I like it.
0: Yeah, we'll have to come up with another another good one. Yeah, really? but give us some time to put together our list for men. <laughs> yeah. For male And this male is a good characters. reference
1: if you're doing a, like a reading challenge that has a first name in the title as one of the categories. So hopefully that this will be helpful for that. All right. Well, until next time, Nicole, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.